Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, we continue our studies now in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses verse 4 today. Yeah, verse 4. In my notes, I've already found a mistake. If you're a note follower, it's Matthew 5, verse 4 there on the very top. Uh, if you're new with us or if you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back uh, by the AV booth. Uh, feel free to stand up, grab one of those, take it home. That's our gift to you. As you turn to Matthew chapter 5, let me review. Several Sundays ago, we did start a, a new section in Matthew's gospel. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we learned that Jesus preached several other sermons throughout the gospels. But this Sermon on the Mount really is his manifesto. Uh, it is the most misunderstood it is uh, the most misinterpreted discourse on the face of the planet. So we're going to take our time here as we go through Jesus' words verse by verse to make sure that we can really grasp what Jesus is saying here. Uh, and then, not only that, but we want to apply His words to our life. Uh, you know, the, the Christian life, it's, it's not about just learning, because the, the Word of God says faith without works is dead. So we, we want to experience God verse by verse, yes, so that we can go share the gospel day by day. Well, last week we, we studied the first beatitude, and we learned that when Jesus says blessed, He's referring to divine happiness. We learned that the Greek word for blessed, makarios, it literally means happy. Uh, and because divine happiness is, is very important, to us and to Jesus, he says that word nine times, makarios, nine times in uh, the first 12 verses. So divine happiness, it reflects the joy, uh, the contentment within the triune God himself. I mean, think about this. There is an unspeakable joy, a supernatural joy within the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's out of God's internal and really his relational contentment within the Godhead, that he chooses to bless his children with that same kind of, of happiness. So, we, we learned about God's definition of happiness through these Beatitudes. And to do that, we must first unlearn some things as well. Because the world has taught us its definition of happiness. We have to unlearn that happiness is not based on external things. And we talked about that last week. Regardless of what we think or what we've been taught, happiness doesn't come from outside sources. Happiness comes from within. And our happiness, especially as children of God, is, is based solely on the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Amen. The cool thing is that nobody can take that away from us un unless we let them. Right? If our, if our boss is happy, well, then so are we. 
right? If he likes it, I love it. But if he's not happy, I'm not happy either. If we're not feeling well, we're not happy. If our financial situation stresses us out, we're not happy. And when we're not happy, we tend to take out our unhappiness on others. Have you noticed that? Yeah, we're going to have bad days. There's no doubt about that. And I'm not downplaying the tragedies in our lives either. Because the world's, we, we know that the world's broken. It's been broken since Genesis 3. And as Christians, we know and we understand the world's brokenness more so than the world does. Uh, we also know that the world is trying to fix the brokenness through all of these external means. Uh, the world is looking at, at politicians. They're looking at education. They're, they're looking at religion or, or the lack thereof, right? And dear friends, we've, we've been sold a lie in all of that. And the lie is this, that happiness is dependent on other people or material things to make me happy. At some point in our lives, we've believed that, you know, if I could just make a little bit more money, I'll be happy. If my spouse would just straighten up, I'd be happy. And those kids, oh, if those kids would just listen every once in a while, I, I would be so happy. If my boss would take my suggestions, if my customers weren't so high maintenance, if, 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 you guys fill in the blank and I would just be so happy. <laughs> and what feeds this lie is one of the things that we talked about several Sundays ago. We said that if you want to be miserable, watch the news. If you want your joy stolen, engage in social media. Because the media industry, it feeds off two lies. Number one, it feeds off our fear. And number two, pleasure. How do we have pleasure in this world? The world says that pleasure is what brings happiness. And here's the thing with that. It's not only the world, it's most American churches too. They've joined in the parade, right? If we just avoid pain, if we would just steer clear of trouble, if we would refuse to allow ourselves to be disappointed or frustration, we can have our best life now. We can have it right now. We don't have to wait. All we have to do is just sidestep pain and we're going to be happy. And we've all tried that. All of us have a variation of the same story. And at the end of the day, it didn't work, did it? The world's way to, to happiness is temporary at best. The problem with all of these external modes of happiness is that they all lead to one thing. And that is just a very shallow life. Because physical things, they don't touch our soul. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, maybe we can admit, you know, that we learn much more about ourselves in times of pain and sorrow. You know, if you take somebody who has never read the Bible, not familiar with the gospel, and you give them a Bible, and you just tell them to skim through it, it's going to be obvious to them that sorrow is foundational to our lives. King Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes 7.4. He says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools 
is in a house of pleasure. Dang. Doesn't he have that backwards? I mean, maybe King Solomon isn't as wise as we thought he was. <laughs> when we started studying the Sermon on the Mount several weeks ago, we discussed how Jesus' teachings are paradoxical. Last week we started with the first beatitude, and Jesus taught us if we want to go to heaven, we must confess our spiritual bankruptcy before God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but last week was a heavy message. I'm surprised y'all showed back up this week. <laughs> I am. And see, I think that's the beauty of the true church as well. That someone can stand up here and, and preach and teach God's ways, which offend everyone. And yet, it's in the offending. It's in the breaking of our pride. And as we'll learn today, it's also in our sorrow that God renews our minds and he softens our hearts. So we're going to be studying the, the second beatitude today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus is known as a man of sorrows. We get this from Isaiah 53. He, that's Jesus, he was despised, he was rejected by men, he's a man of sorrows, he's acquainted with grief. So our Lord knows what he's talking about here as he preaches today's beatitude. The question is, do we? If not, are we willing to learn? Are we teachable this morning to hear this message from Jesus? So let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. I'm going to start in verse 1 to give us the full context here. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And this is the word of the Lord for River Bible Church this morning. Thank you. Please have a seat. So let's take a, a deep, deeper look here at this text. Starting in verse 3, last week, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So blessed are those who realize their spiritual poverty. And today, we're going to look at our spiritual sadness. So verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So in other words, Jesus is saying, happy are those who are sad. Happy are those who are sad. Now, let that sit in just for a moment. 
How in the world are we supposed to make sense of that? <laughs> Happy are those who are sad. Because we've been taught that misery is not the key to life. All of us have lived our whole lives not to be sad. So maybe it's our translation. Let's, let's take a look at some other translations here. The LSB, the ESV, the NASB, the New King James Version all translates this verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The NLT, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The NCV, they are blessed who grieve, for God will comfort them. The GNB, the Good News Bible, Happy are those who mourn. God will comfort them. And the YLT, the, the Young's literal translation, happy the morning because they shall be comforted. So all these translations are saying the same thing in a slightly different way. So, so back to our, our, our preaching Bible here, the CSB, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So this, the second beatitude, it's, it's like the first on the surface. It seems like a contradiction. And, and the paradox is, is evident to us. It appears that Jesus has the, the purpose of this life backwards. Because the world and our culture has taught us, right? To mourn, that's to be unhappy. To mourn is to be miserable. But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying something that we don't want to hear this morning. So if you thought last week's message was a bit tough to swallow, <laughs> just wait. Because these Beatitudes, what they do is they build upon one another. And as they build upon one another, God removes our pride. And he abolishes our arrogance. And he erases our ego. See, Jesus is righting the wrongs of the world. Jesus is correcting the lie that we've been fed. Jesus means exactly what he's saying here. Brings us to key point number one. For you note takers, you are going to love today's sermon because we have 47 key points. All right, so get your pens ready. Key point number one. There is a type of human sadness that leads to divine happiness. There is a type of human sadness that leads to divine happiness. In fact, we, we see Jesus double down on this beatitude in Luke's gospel. Look at this. Luke chapter 6, verse 25. He says, woe, W-O-E, woe. In other words, cursed. Cursed to you who are now laughing. You guys think that, that life is just one big joke? That this whole thing's just one big party? Woe to you, for you will mourn and you will weep. Dang. So yes, Jesus turns the world's principles upside down with this sermon. He is undoing everything we've ever known about happiness. Why is he doing this? Because he loves us. The people who love you tell you the hard things that you don't want to hear. Jesus knows that all sunshine makes a desert. Y'all heard that? We can relate to that. We live in the desert, right? We, we know the value of physical water. The same thing can be said spiritually. See, it's out of unconditional love that Jesus gives us spiritual water this morning. 
So let's dive in here. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those. Jesus is referring to a specific people group here because not everyone mourns. People who don't mourn, they are not only unhealthy spiritually, but they are unhealthy emotionally and physically as well. And the reason for that is because our, God has designed our bodies to mourn. It's a part of human life. Weeping and mourning and sadness, all this is a gift from God. The ability to weep and cry, that is by God's design. So if we don't process our mourning in a healthy way, the stress of holding that sadness inside, it, it poisons our entire emotional system. Key point number two, God designed us to shed tears. He designed us to shed tears. So dear friends, crying, you've got nothing to apologize for. Crying releases our pain. Sorrow and lamentation, they are a part of the overall healing process. But see, when we keep our pain inside, when we bottle that up, it poisons our emotions. Back to verse 4, blessed are those, are those people who mourn. So looking back at the Old Testament, we see some kind of sorrow nearly on every single page of Scripture starting in Genesis 3. Sorrow is so important from God's perspective that he had the prophet Jeremiah write an entire book on it, Lamentations. And by the way, the oldest book in Scripture is not Genesis, it's Job. Sorrow and mourning are so deeply ingrained into our lives that there's no way that we can or we will ever get around this subject. But the question here at this point is, okay, blessed are those who mourn. Mourn for what? Who and what are we mourning for? Well, there are nine different Greek words used in the New Testament regarding sorrow. Nine. And of the nine Greek words, Jesus chooses a particular word for emphasis here. Like last week when Jesus was talking about poor in spirit. Jesus didn't choose a word just for poor. He used a word for begging poor. Right? He said, pitahos. This is begging poor. When we come to God, a thrice holy God, we come to him as a, not just a poor man or a poor woman, but a begging poor. We have nothing. He does the same thing here for this beatitude. Jesus chooses the word pentheo for mourning. Pentheo, it's the strongest of all nine verbs regarding sorrow. Pentheo, it represents the most severe grief a person could ever feel. And it's interesting because the Greeks usually reserve this word for grieving over the death of a loved one. It's used 10 times in the New Testament, but here's the fascinating thing. It's only used one time referring to the death of someone. Let me show you this. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Early on the first day of the week, after Jesus had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning. Penthos. So the question is, all right, well, if the strongest Greek term for mourning is only used once, 
about someone's death here in the New Testament, then how else is it being used? So let me read you one verse that I think summarizes the other nine. It comes from the Apostle James, chapter 4, verse 8. James writes, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn. Pentheo, and let your laughter be turned to mourning. Penthos. So if the first beatitude has to do with spiritual poverty, the second builds on that foundation. And it refers to a spiritual sadness because of our spiritual sin. Or because of our personal sin. Excuse me. The second builds on that foundation. And it refers to our spiritual sadness because of our personal sin. So key point number three, the poor in spirit from last week, they become those who mourn. The poor in spirit become those who mourn. So we can see how the first beatitude is connected to the second now. They start to link together. And then key point number four, back to back, spiritual poverty leads to spiritual sadness. Our spiritual, the realization of our spiritual poverty leads to a spiritual sadness. So this beatitude is not mourning the, the death of a person, no matter how painful that is. It's not connected to some sub, substantial loss in your life, whether it's your job or your home, no matter how devastating that may be. Jesus is not referring to the, the mourning, the, the social sins that the world rejoices in. Jesus, he's not even talking about spiritual sins like unbelief and ingratitude. However, God does comfort all of us when we mourn all those things and all those people. Because Jesus is concerned about all the legitimate sorrows of his children. And, and God does promise to comfort and strengthen us when we turn to him for help. But see, those sorrows, that's not what Jesus is talking about here in this sermon. So what is he talking about? Key point number five. Jesus is referring to our personal mourning regarding our personal sin. Jesus is referring to our personal mourning regarding our personal sin. When we come to terms with how grievous and how offensive our personal sin is to a holy God, we can't help but do something with that revelation. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. We don't regret that. But see, worldly grief, it produces death. So mourning over our personal sin, it produces a godly repentance. And godly repentance, it changes us. It changes us to hate the sin that we used to love and love the God we used to hate or ignore at best. So let me give you a couple examples here of biblical repentance that comes from spiritual sadness. King David, right? Everybody knows him as, as uh, a man after God's own heart. Well, he sinned greatly. Number one, he, he sinned by sleeping with another man's wife. And number two, he murdered her husband. And after he did those horrid, horrid things, he was called out on his sin and David eventually wrote this in Psalm 51. He says, be gracious to me, God, 
according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. See, this is all about God. And then he says, blot out, blot out, erase my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me away from my sin. See, David calls his crimes against the holy God what they are. They are sin. It's not a mistake. It's not, oops, sorry, God, I'll try better next time. That's not what David does. He calls it sin. He goes on to say in verse 3, he says, For I am conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. And against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done this evil in your sight. Psalm 51 is such a beautiful example of how spiritual sadness changed David. After Job, after he had everything taken away from him, Job demands to speak to God for all this pain and all this affliction, all this sorrow that has come upon him. God steps in, has a brief conversation with Job, and God says, all right, Job, you want to talk to me? It's time for you to put your big boy pants on. You ready? Because I'm going to ask you some questions. And God, he asks Job lots of questions. None of them Job can respond to. And Job 42.5, Job says, well, I've heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And since I've seen you, I'm going to reject my words. I'm sorry, I'm grieving, I'm mourning for them. Please don't destroy me, God, because I'm dust and ashes. See, it's that kind of sorrow that Jesus refers to it starts here in our head, it changes our hearts, and what it does is it overwhelms us, our, our physical, our emotional, our spiritual life. In Psalm 119, the psalmist writes, my eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instruction. We could all scratch out that word people and put our, our own name in there. The only sorrow that brings spiritual life, the the only type of sadness that brings spiritual maturity is godly sorrow. It's a sorrow over our sin that does something to us. It it changes us. It leads us to repentance. Uh, Repentance. It's the turning away from our sin, and it is the turning to Jesus. So godly sorrow is linked to repentance. Repentance is linked to godly sorrow. They are two sides of the same coin. So back to verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. So two things to note here. True mourning over our personal sin does not focus, one, on ourselves, or two, on our sin. Key point number six Biblical mourning focuses on God. Biblical mourning focuses on God. And see, it's the reason that we focus on God is that he's the only one who can forgive us for these sins. And by the way, mourning for our sin, it's not a one-time event. Uh, Pinthos, this this mourning, it's, it's a present participle. It means that we are to mourn over our sin in a continuous way. Ongoing mourning plays out when you're reminded of something from your past. Could be a song on the radio. It brings back a time in our lives that we're just 
ashamed of? Maybe you're shopping and you see someone who reminds you of someone else that you sinned against. Maybe it's a, a particular aroma. Reminds you of, of where you were. you were. You were somewhere where you never should have been. Perhaps it's a photograph that brings back specific memories or, or maybe the Lord brings to mind certain situation as you read scripture or you're, you're praying back his word or you're spending time with him. And dear friends, this is the cool part because at that moment, this is where God wants to do something remarkable in your life. Because what God is doing with those memories, he's purging you of your old self. You're no longer that person. If you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, God wants you to mourn that sin as sin. He wants you to see what he sees. And if it's possible, God wants you to make things right with that person or that situation. The Apostle Paul writes this, Romans 12, 18. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you're able, go make that situation right. See, there is a peace within that perfect relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that we as humans, we just don't get it. We can't comprehend this. But by living at peace with people that we've sinned against, or maybe they've sinned against us, we do experience a portion, a reflection of God's peace here on the earth. So back to verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The pronoun there, they, it's autos, they will be comforted. The pronoun is emphatic. So Jesus says that the only people who will be comforted over their personal sin are those who mourn over their sin before a holy God. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They will be comforted. Parakaleo comes from paraclete, the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Notice here how the comfort that Jesus refers to comes after our obedience to mourning our sin. It comes after. So key point number seven, God's comfort comes after our mourning. God's comfort comes after our mourning. So as we continually mourn here, we will be continually comforted as well. The comfort is the forgiveness that, that comes from mourning over our personal sin. So as often as we confess our sin, Jesus is faithful to forgive, right? 1 John 1.19 or 1.9. And as often as we mourn over our sin, he is faithful to comfort us as well. Now, comfort doesn't come in the sadness. So where's the promise of, of God's comfort in, in this verse? Well, key point number eight. Our mourning leads to God's comfort, and God's comfort leads to happiness. Our mourning leads to God's comfort, and God's comfort leads to our happiness. Godly mourning brings about God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness brings about God's comfort. Happiness comes from 
with, with what God does in response to our mourning. So mourning, you know, mourning over our personal sin, it's not only a physiological or an emotional experience that makes us feel better. It's a supernatural experience as well. Key point number nine, mourning over sin, it purges our guilt from sin. Mourning over our sin purges our guilt from sin. And guys, this whole thing is a gift from God because it's God who reveals our sinfulness, number one. It's God who created our bodies to mourn. It's God who renews our mind. It's God who softens our heart. And it's God who allows us to participate in all of this, this process of mourning. So key point number 10. When we mourn our sin, we deepen our relationship with God. When we mourn our sin, we deepen our relationship with God. We join in a newfound communion where God allows us to experience the reality of His forgiveness. And God's forgiveness is revealed in our comfort. See, it's only in God's forgiveness that we experience true happiness. Have you ever had someone come to you and kind of look at you and kind of the, the mess, the messiness of your life during, during that time, or maybe you're experiencing the, the mess right now, but someone from the outside is looking at your life and they can't figure out why you're so dang happy. Because from their perspective, it's messy, it's not good, you should be sad. They don't get it. And they don't understand it because sin and happiness are totally and utterly incompatible. See, until our sin is forgiven, we'll never experience true happiness. And the forgiveness of our sins, it only comes through the person and the work of Christ. So what Jesus is teaching us today is that even though he's done all the work, right? Jesus lived a perfect life because we haven't. Jesus died a substitutionary death because we couldn't. And Jesus walked out of his grave three days later, proving that this beatitude is true. So where do we start with spiritual sadness? We got one verse, 10 key points. It's a lot of information, right? It's a lot of head knowledge. What are the next steps for us? Well, number one, we want to start with prayer. Because God is the only one who can wake us up from our stupor. He's the only one that can rattle our cage and, and, and show us our propensity towards sin and our love for sin. If we love our sin, we'll never mourn it. If we have the opportunity to commit the, the same sin again and again and again and again, and, and, and we don't think we're ever going to get caught, that means we love it. It doesn't necessarily mean that we don't love Jesus. That may be true, but it certainly reveals how quickly we forget God's love for us. And it's through prayer where God will teach us how to mourn. There are two things to watch out for as we begin this mourning process. Number one is a hard heart. See, if we don't mourn our sin, 
we're not going to confess our sin either. And if we don't confess our sin, we won't experience God's forgiveness for it. For us to mourn our sin, it means we got to give it up. we got to give this sin up, whatever it is. And, and you and I both know our hearts, our hard hearts, don't like to give up our sin that easily. The second thing that prevents mourning is, is the sin of presumption. We presume on God. We take God's grace for granted. Ah, come on, Dustin, God's, he'll forgive me. God will forgive me. Man, I'm already forgiven. See, if we have this kind of attitude towards sin, I wouldn't be so sure. See, we cheapen God's grace and His mercy and His forgiveness by not going through this painful process, and it is painful, of spiritual sadness, of mourning over our sin like we mourn over the death of someone that we love. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So our hard heart and the sin of presumption are two things that prevent us to mourn our sin. So let me give you two attributes that will encourage you so that you know that you're on the right track. Number one, it's this attitude of divine happiness. We're happy because we, we're, we've gone or we're going through this process of mourning. And when we go through the process, as hard as, as it is, there is an unspeakable, there is a supernatural joy that fills our life. So number one, the attribute of divine happiness. And number two, we become, we, we notice how sensitive we become to sin. Not just our sin, but, but the, the sin of the world's, other people's sin, and it breaks our hearts. It breaks us. Spiritual sadness, this process, it's like a physical operation. Because we all have this disease called sin, and it's through this operation of spiritual sadness where God spiritually heals. See, the, the disease of sin, it hurts, right? The solution to our sin cost Jesus his perfect life, and yet the operation for the cure for us, it still hurts. The recovery from the operation, it lasts a lifetime. Mourning our sin, it's not a phase in our life, it's a way of life. And by the way, if this is your first time at River Bible Church, we want to welcome you. <laughs> Guys, this is an ongoing brokenness. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more we mourn our sin. And here's the good news, all right? This pain is temporary. This pain only lasts a lifetime. If you're a disciple of Jesus, right? Let me end with this. The apostle John, the Apostle John writes in Revelation 21.1, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. He said, I, I saw this holy city, a new Jerusalem, and it's coming down out of heaven from God, and it's prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. 
And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. And he will be their God. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Why? Why? Because all this previous stuff has passed away. So dear friends, we only have a few more moments to grieve over our sin. Life is so short. It's so temporary compared to this gift of eternity. So don't wait to mourn. You you don't know what your life is like tomorrow. The sooner you mourn for your sin, the sooner you're going to receive forgiveness and you're going to experience this happiness and this blessedness that Jesus promises. It's all in this beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for the revelation of understanding what spiritual sadness looks like for us. I pray, Lord, that no matter where we are, if if we're just a a baby Christian, if we're just a year into this walk, that you would show us what next steps are. But Lord, if, if we've been walking with you for 30, 40, 50 years, you're not done with us. And not only are you not done with us, you've commanded the saints to disciple those that are new in their faith. And Lord, I pray that you would lay that on our hearts this morning. I pray, Father, for the the God intersections and the divine disruptions this week, that when we hear someone crying out for help, that we can engage in that conversation with the gift of spiritual sadness. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.